How, have you ever had a meeting with someone? We're talking about encounters with Jesus. A, a meeting with someone, and it's just changed your life. It's been so dramatic that everything has changed when you met this person. I'm going to tell you a story that happened before any of you, apart from one or two of the leaders, were even born, because that's how old I am. In the mid-1990s, I'm a fanatical football supporter and football player and just enthusiast of football. And when I was aged about 17, I started doing my football coaching badges, trying to train to be a football coach. And on that course, which was amazing for me, was six of Sunderland's first-team squad. And as you all know, Sunderland are the greatest football team in the whole world. So to have six of the Sunderland first team on my course with me was just astonishingly wonderful. The course went on about four or five weeks and Sunderland kept on playing games during that time. And I would have gone to watch them all the time. I wasn't good enough to play for them. So you went to watch and were part of the crowd. And those were the days in the, in the late 1990s where you could actually get close to footballers, like top level footballers. You didn't have to be kept away by guards all the time. So the, the cars would come into the, the stadium of light where Sunderland play, and immediately the, one of the first team players arrived, it would be surrounded by young people looking for autographs, you're holding up their program saying, sign this. The Sunderland captain pulled in, who at that time was a guy called Kevin Ball. You'd never heard of him, but it was a big deal for me. And Kevin was on my coaching course, and his car was immediately surrounded by all these people. And I walked past, and he saw me. And he said, Andy, how are you doing? I said, I'm all right, Kevin. He said, I'll see you tomorrow, because the course is going on tomorrow. And all these people who were surrounding the car looked at me and thought, wow, what an amazing guy he must be, because he knows Kevin Ball, this guy who's a Sunderland captain. Now, that was an amazing thing. That just thrilled my heart to do that. But it didn't change my life forever. It was good. And it stuck with me, and I'm telling you the story like 20 odd years later, but it didn't change everything about my life, even though it was a really good thing. A few years later, I went to Liverpool to go to university. And as, apart from training to be a PE teacher while I was there, I met a girl while I was there. And she was from this church, actually. She was a member of this church. And meeting Jessica, well, that actually did change an awful lot more because we got married eventually. And I'm here in Northern Ireland because I married the girl from Portadown who brought me back over to Northern Ireland. And now when we're thinking of doing things, we don't think about individually just what I'm doing and what she's doing. Because we're married, because we're together, because we're a family, that meeting has actually changed how we think about the whole of life. We do things together. We think about stuff together now. And that's changed, well, an awful lot. But what I want to show you tonight from these few verses at the end of John chapter 1 are some people who met with Jesus. And it didn't just change their life. It changed their eternity. If you've got a Bible in front of you, I'd love to just work our way through these verses and just listen to what they're saying. Here's the first thing. I want you to notice something really important in the first verse, verse 43. Listen to it. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. If you had in your mind anyone that you'd thought of, that you'd met, that was really great, and meeting them was a real big moment in your life, who was it who initiated that meeting? Who, who caused it to happen? Those 
things that I talked about before. I'd watched Sunderland play lots and lots of times, and I'd watched that guy Kevin Ball play lots and lots of times, and there were 30 odd thousand people in the crowd watching the games, and at no stage in any of those games did Kevin Ball look up and see me in the stand and say, how are you doing? I've never met you before, but I'd love to meet you. Will you come back to my house and have a chat? He never did that, because I was nobody compared to him. I had to go and initiate the meeting with him. And you know, it was just the same with Jessica. When I got to university, she didn't really want to be interested in me. She wasn't looking for me, but I saw her and I pursued her and it took me a little while, but eventually I got there and I I managed to persuade her that it wasn't a bad thing to hang out with me. And we moved on from there. I, I, I had to initiate that. If you're trying to meet with someone great, someone who's going to be astonishing in your life, someone who's going to change your life, you'd better do something to make it happen. But look what happens in verse 43. Philip doesn't find Jesus. Jesus finds him. The initiative in this meeting is entirely with Jesus. Jesus finds Philip and says, Philip, I want you to follow me. Everybody who is a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, if you're a Christian tonight, then you are a follower of Jesus because Jesus has called you to follow him because he has initiated that meeting if you're not a Christian tonight, that's what you're waiting for. You're, you're, you're expecting, you're hoping. I'm praying that tonight you hear Jesus' voice call you to follow him because he has to initiate this kind of a meeting. You can't get to Jesus by yourself, just like I couldn't get to one of the Sunderland footballers by myself. I needed to find a way to, to, to get a meeting so that they could in, invite me to, to be with them. Jesus has to invite you. It comes all from him. And, and that's where, if you are a Christian, and we'll touch on this a little bit over the next few minutes at different times. If you are a Christian and you're interested in your friends becoming Christians too, if you're following Jesus and you want your friends to follow Jesus too, you don't need to be able to convince them of things. You don't need to be able to argue well or even teach the Bible really well. You need to pray really hard because all of the initiative rests with Jesus. It's a great leveler. There is nothing that you can do to push yourself away from Jesus or towards Jesus. There's nothing in your life that makes you more or less likely to be called by Jesus. It's entirely in his hands. My middle daughter at the moment is applying for university. She's in upper sixth. And she's done a whole pile of work in in all of her lower sixth stuff, all the S level stuff, and then putting a personal statement together for UCAS. Some of you are probably doing that at the moment. Last night, she got she got an, 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 uh, not an offer, an interview from a university. A university said, we'd like to give you an interview. And it's like all that work, massive amount of work to try and catch someone's attention. And she's done it. And now she has an interview. And then she's got to do a whole pile of more work to try and, try and impress them when she goes to that interview and make them, make them think that she's someone who could take a place in their course. It's not like competing for a place at university. There's nobody in this room tonight who is closer to Jesus than anyone else or further away from Jesus until Jesus calls you. And what Jesus says... <laughs> It's very simple, isn't it? He says, follow me. It's a very brief thing that he says. It's a very simple thing that he says. He doesn't say, have you been thinking about changing your life? Have you considered eternity? He doesn't 
look at Philip's moral life, the kinds of things he's doing or the kinds of things he's not doing. He just says to him, Philip, I want you to follow me. And what sense that verse actually gives is that he is saying, keep following me. Philip, I want you to follow me and to keep following me through the whole of your life. I want you to spend your entire life with me, Philip, and following me, Philip, and your whole life will be changed because your life will now be about following me. The initiative for this relationship, the initiative for these encounters comes from Jesus saying, follow me. And when he does, look how Philip responds, verses 44 to 46. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we've found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. The first thing Philip wants to do once he starts following Jesus, you see what it is? His instinct immediately is to get his friend. Hey, Nathaniel, I've got something that you need to see here. I've got, I've got to get you to see the person that I've come to see as well. I've got to get you to try and follow the Jesus that I've come to follow here. This life-changing event in my life, I want you to share in the impulse of every follower of Jesus is to bring other people to come and follow him too. God often works through his people, almost entirely works through his people. The call of Jesus is heard through people's lives. You know, I've been in the church in, in Lisburn that I work in for about nine and a half years now, and I guess we've had 38, 39 people have become Christians during that time, I think, as I, I work through all those different people. And lots of them have become Christians at, at services, at meetings like this. Some of them become Christians at Christianity Explored courses and things like that. But almost all of them, I can think of one exception, but almost all of them, were brought along there by a friend. They were brought to church by a friend. They were brought to Christianity Explored by a friend that started a conversation with someone else. And it's an intimate relationship. Philip, he doesn't hold an open-air meeting. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the bad thing, but, but he, doesn't, he doesn't say that's how you've got to do it. He doesn't put a, a microphone on the top of his car and say, everybody, listen, you've got to follow Jesus. He goes to his friend. He goes to the people that he knows. He goes to the person that he, he has most time for, and he says, Nathaniel, what I want from you more than anything else, what I want for you more than anything else is for you to find this Jesus too. If you're a follower of Jesus tonight, who do you know who needs to know Jesus? Who are you willing to spend time with so that they can begin to follow the same Jesus that you have and have the life-changing, eternity-changing effect that Jesus has had on you in their life too? Perhaps you're here tonight because someone's brought you. You're like those people that I've talked about there. Perhaps your friend is a Christian and they've said, come along to see tonight. Come along and be part of this. Maybe they've done that lots of times. Maybe you're here over lots of different weeks because someone keeps bringing you, keeps inviting you, and you're here tonight for the same reason. Perhaps tonight Jesus is calling you and you hear his voice saying, come and follow me and have the same life-changing, eternity-changing impact that your friends had and Philip had and lots of people here had. Look at verse 45. We'll see actually what um, Philip says to Nathaniel. This is his evangelism. Listen to what he says. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we've found him whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, 
the son of Joseph. That's an astounding claim. It's hard sometimes to see it there, but it's a, it's a stupendous claim that Philip is making. He's saying everything in the Old Testament, everything that God has written before in our Bibles, the Old Testament that was written before Jesus, all the promises that God made, all the activity that God had with His people, everything that has happened up until now has been waiting for, anticipating, and pointing towards this person, this Jesus. The whole world, Philip is saying, has been waiting for this Jesus to appear. And he can't wait for Nathaniel to experience it too. This morning, we went out for breakfast. I had a morning off. There was no hockey to watch. The two girls often play hockey, and they had no hockey matches this morning. So, so we went out for breakfast. We went to Bob and Burt's. And, and I like coffee, and, but I like simple coffee. I'm just normal, simple coffee. I don't want any fancy, foamy stuff and all that kind of nonsense. Just coffee. I, I usually get an Americano, just black coffee, nice and strong, nice flavor, black coffee. And, and something caught my eye this morning on the way into Bob and Burt's. Gingerbread latte. You ever had a gingerbread latte? I'd never had a gingerbread latte, and I don't know what came over me this morning. There was something bizarre happened to me this morning, because normally I'm just going in and saying, give me an Americano, a big Americano, let me have the, the strong coffee early in the morning, get myself wakened up. But I went in this morning, and I, don't, I didn't think about it, but it just came out. Can I have a gingerbread, can I have a gingerbread latte? And they give it to me, and we had our dog with us, so we went back outside to, to eat. It's like joy in a cup. It's just fantastic. I don't know what I've been doing all these years up till now, getting this Americano stuff. It is just the most amazing thing in the whole world. Now, I'd love you to share that. Well, I wouldn't like you to share mine because I'd want to keep it for myself, but I'd love you to share the experience. I'd love you to have the experience that I had in, in, in tasting something really, really good. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to pass that on if you'd had something so exciting as that? What if you... What if you discovered the cure to COVID and we could just stop all this mask wearing and separating and fiddling about with life and just go back to normal again? Wouldn't you want to share that with the world? Wouldn't you want to pass it on? Philip's enthusiasm is more than that. He's saying, I, I know the one who is the answer to every question. I know the one that God has promised to the world. I know the one that eternity is all about. And I want you to be part of it too. Can't you feel his enthusiasm? If you're a Christian, don't you have that enthusiasm? Don't you desperately want everyone else to experience the relationship with Jesus that you have too, to know the life-changing effect of Jesus in them? If tonight you're not yet following Jesus, you haven't seen the full value of him yet. Because when you see just how amazingly good Jesus is, it will be irresistible for you not to follow him. I'm praying that you see the real value of Jesus tonight. If you're a Christian tonight and you're not sharing Jesus with other people, you're not passing on to other people the experience that you have, you're not wanting them to have the same relationship with Jesus that you have, the life-changing, eternity-changing relationship with Jesus you have, you haven't seen the full value of Jesus yet because if you really, if you really understood him, if you really saw him as he is, it would be impossible for you to keep him to yourself. And yet, and this is why the Bible's so good and honest, Nathaniel's not impressed, is he? Look at verse 46. Nathaniel says to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Why doesn't sound like a really good deal here, Philip? I, I've been to Nazareth, and there's nothing good going on there. Now, there's all sorts of different reasons why Nazareth might not have been a, a, a good option, you know, a good place to be. It was a Roman garrison town, so, so the Jews were occupied by the Romans, and, and Nazareth was one of the places where the Romans lived. They had a big, big set of, of army people there. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why it got a bad reputation. But, but there was just a general reputation of the people from Nazareth that they weren't morally good people. They were disreputable kind of people, the kind of place that you wouldn't trust someone if they were from. And one of the reasons why Nathaniel particularly doesn't like Nazareth, I think, is because he's from Cana, this passage tells us, which is about four miles away from Nazareth. They were like the neighbors. So Scott pointed out, I'm not from here originally, I'm from the northeast of England, Durham and Sunderland, that kind of area. Those are the closest places to me. And the closest near neighbor to us is Newcastle. And we don't trust anyone from Newcastle. And I think I know enough about your culture, if most of you are from Portadown, because Jessica's from here, and maybe this just betrays what kind of person she was, but she would immediately say, Logan. I don't trust anyone. I, I, I was an assistant minister. John Graham's coming in a couple of weeks' time. I was assistant minister in the church in Logan. Man, that was the hardest thing that Jessica's had to do in her life. We had to go and join a church in Lurgan for four years and be part of like people and love people who were from Lurgan. Nothing good comes out of Lurgan, does it? And that's the kind of thing that Nathaniel's saying here. How could this Jesus have come from such a place as Nazareth? It just doesn't seem reasonable that the most amazing thing in the world comes from such a, a dull place, such an uninteresting place, such a disreputable kind of place. And maybe for you tonight, church feels like that. Perhaps when we keep saying that life is in this guy, Jesus, life is about following Jesus, and life is in the Christians who come and, and follow Jesus together, and you look at Christians, and you look at the church, and you think, how could anything good come out of that? How could anything good be with those people? How could anything good be going on in a place like this, or whatever other church you know? He's not interested at the start, but but look how it persuades. Look what Philip does. He doesn't say, here's a whole argument that I have that will get you to see who Jesus really is. He doesn't try to persuade him with clever words or anything like that. He just says, come and see. Come and see him for yourself. He has such a confidence, such a confidence in Jesus that he's saying, if you are the most doubting person in the world, I challenge you tonight, just come and see. Come and try Jesus. Come and try following Jesus. Come and try listening to Jesus. And I know, Philip would be saying, and I want to be saying tonight, I know that if you begin to see Jesus, if you came and saw Jesus, if you experienced Jesus, you would never be disappointed. He doesn't try to convince him. He doesn't walk away defeated and think, well, he's not interested. He just, ex he just invites him, come and experience Jesus. Even before he believes, even before he knows anything about who this Jesus really is, anything about what Jesus has done or said or will go on to do or say, even before he believes in any of that stuff, he just says, come and experience following Jesus. I can't tell you how good that gingerbread latte was this morning. But that's just it, isn't it? I can't. 
you've got to see it for yourself. You've got to head on down with Bob and Bert's and, and hand some money over and try one because it's just astonishingly good. But you've got to experience it. I can tell you how good it is, but you've got to feel it for yourself. And I have such confidence in Jesus that following him is the greatest thing in life. It is life transforming and eternity changing. And I want you all to have the experience that I have with Jesus. I want you to come and see. And the amazing thing is that the more people who come and see and come and follow Jesus, it doesn't water down the experience for everyone else. Let me go back to to Jessica, one of the things that I benefited from when I was her boyfriend actually over in university was that she'd done a Duke of Edinburgh gold award. And you get to go to the palace if you go get a gold, gold award from, from the Duke of Edinburgh. And the Duke of Edinburgh was still alive then. <laughs> and you actually got to meet him. There he was in the palace. She took me with us. And I could say I met the Duke of Edinburgh, except there was probably about 150 people in the room. And he was there, and I was there too, and we sort of did meet. We were sort of in the same place. But, but the more people who are there, the less you really know of someone, the less you're really a part of them, isn't it? It's not like I sat down with him one-to-one -one and said, well, Duke, how's it going? <laughs> you know, what, what are you thinking about at the moment? How's life for you? You getting on okay? Tell me what you think about the weather at the moment. I, I didn't get that opportunity. It wasn't just me and him. It was me and lots of other people, and it dilutes the relationship. But Jesus is so big, and Jesus is so good. That the more people who follow him, actually, the more, pe the more you experience of him. That's why church is so good. That's why I look forward every Sunday morning to come and meet with my people in church. Because while I can follow Jesus on my own, actually, when I come and follow him with other people, I actually see more and more of Jesus, the more people who are there with me. And I want more and more people to experience Jesus so that I'll be able to be with you and experience more of Jesus with you at the same time too. So how does Nathaniel get on? Let's look at verses 47 to 49. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. What Nathanael finds when he begins to follow Jesus, when he goes to see following Philip's advice, goes to see Jesus, is not that he gets to know Jesus, but that Jesus already knows him. There's a bit of supernatural knowledge here in verse 47, I think. As Nathanael comes towards Jesus, Jesus says, I know you, Nathanael. You're someone in whom there's no deceit. He's sort of saying, Nathanael, you're an honest guy. Perhaps he's saying, you're honestly looking for answers. That's the kind of person you are, Nathanael. You're pursuing the truth that's the kind of person you are. I know what you're like. I wonder what Jesus would say about you or me to get us to know that he really knew us. What kind of phrase he would say. It was a really nice thing about Nathaniel, wasn't it? Hey, you're an honest guy. You're honestly looking for the truth. I wonder what he would say about us so that you would know as soon as Jesus said that, he knows me. He knows what I'm like. He knows what I'm thinking. Some of the things that he would know about me wouldn't be pleasant. Do you imagine what Jesus knows about you and nothing is hidden? And yet still, knowing everything about you, this Jesus wants to know you. Because just like he knows Nathaniel inside out, he knows everything about what he's like. He knows, he knows our sin. 
He knows our struggles in life. He knows all the good things and he knows all the bad things. And yet he continues to want Nathaniel. He continued to want Nathaniel to be a follower of his and he still wants you, even though he knows everything. Nothing needs to be hidden because nothing is hidden from him. And then Jesus says a bit of a bizarre thing. I wonder what you made of that. Before Philip called you, when you're under the fig tree, I saw you, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel. What does that mean? Different scholars, different commentators have had all sorts of different ideas about what that's supposed to mean. Apparently, only rich people had fig trees, you know? So maybe you were saying, like, I know, Nathaniel, you're a, you're a well-to-do kind of guy. So it's like saying, you know, I saw you when you were driving your Porsche, that kind of thing. I know what you like. Or it might be that this under the fig tree thing was like a, a synonym. It was something that people used to, to say, I, I'm, a, I'm out under the fig tree. I'm, I'm studying. I'm thinking. I'm praying. Perhaps he said to Nathaniel, I, I, I saw you when you were praying to God for direction, for, to, to look to what happens in the future. While you were thinking about stuff, while you were contemplating things, I saw you when you were reading the Bible. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but it meant something to Nathaniel. It meant something to him. You see, as he meets with Jesus, it's like us when we read the Bible here together tonight. Rather than us trying to make sense of it, what happens when we open ourselves to what Jesus is saying to us is it starts to make sense of us. Jesus begins to show how he knows us and understands us, and we begin to explain our life by looking in the lens of the Bible. And that's what was happening with Nathaniel. Whatever that under the fig tree thing meant, it was starting to make sense to him. Life was starting to make sense to him because he had met with Jesus. And Nathaniel believes like Philip believed. He says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. You are God here with me, I believe. You are the king. You are my king, Nathaniel says. Remember, a true Israelite. Here is the king of Israel. He is the one who can command my life, who is the Lord of my life, the one that I'm going to live for now. You see, Nathaniel has had this encounter with Jesus, and everything in his life is beginning to change, including his eternity. And that's why, as a Christian, everything changes for us too. Because as we meet with Jesus, we meet a new king. And what we live for changes. You won't have to be governed anymore by what people think about you. By what things people post about you on social media. About what grades you achieve. And how you compare with other people. Those things aren't that important to you anymore. You've got a new king. It's not about your achievements, the things you can do or the things you can't do. It's not even about your own desires, what you want to do. You'll have found a new king like Nathaniel has found a new king. And everything then will be about him. You don't just get a new interest in becoming a Christian. You get a new life. Your whole life changes and your eternity changes too. Look at the last two verses. Verses 50 and 51. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In effect, Jesus says to Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet, Nathaniel. <laughs> this is only just the beginning. Things are just starting to change, and there's so much more still to come. And then he has this beautiful picture at the end of 
heaven being opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, the word that Jesus uses about himself, on Jesus, angels coming up and down. And, and he's quoting a little bit. He's using a, a parallel picture from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible. A guy called Jacob had a, had a dream, had a vision from God at a place that he called Bethel, the house of God where there was this huge big ladder and heaven was opened and angels were, were going up to heaven and coming back down at earth. And so he said, this is, this is the house of God. This is the place where God is because there's an opening from here to God here at this stage. And, and there's something missing in Jesus, Jesus' analogy. There's something not there, isn't there? He says, heaven is opened and the angels are ascending to heaven and, and descending to the earth, but there's no ladder. There's nothing for them to go up and down on. See what he's saying? Jesus is saying, it's me. I'm the access point to heaven. I'm the way into the presence of God. I'm the way to eternal life. That's what he means by the greater things that, that, that Nathaniel will see in the future. They're the greater things that Jesus would go on to do. Because from this point at the start of John's gospel, Jesus makes his way resolutely towards Jerusalem, his end point, where he dies. And in his suffering and in his death, he makes a way for sinners like you and me to ascend up into the very heart of heaven, to know God himself. Jesus doesn't come to show us heaven. Jesus says, I'm the one who can bring you into this heaven. It's on me. It's in me. It's through me that you'll have access to, to God himself. It's through me that you will have access to eternal life. And all of that is dependent not on what you do, but on your relationship to the Son of Man. He's the ladder. You can't build your own ladder by doing lots of good stuff, by being a nice person. You've got to be in with the relationship of Jesus. You've got to be following Him. And then not only your life will change, but your eternity will change. It's an astonishing claim, all that, isn't it? And so what I want to say to you as we finish is, is just what Philip said. All of those things, amazing though they may sound, are perfectly true. I just want you to come and see. Come and see. You can't ever be disappointed in Jesus. One thing is certainly for sure, after meeting Jesus, Philip and Nathaniel were never the same again, were they? Nobody ever is. Not when we meet with this Jesus. He's the very way to God. Some of you have never met Jesus yet. Some of you don't know him. Come and see tonight. Come and see him tonight. And begin this journey that will transform your life, which will impact everything that you do and will take you to eternity. Some of you here tonight have met Jesus. You're following him, but actually your life's dominated by something else. There's something that's taken your gaze off Jesus. There's something else that's taken your attention. This is the one who brings heaven down to earth and us to heaven. Focus yourself again on him. See how beautiful he is. And some of us, we enjoy following Jesus, but we've forgotten the thrill of bringing other people to know Jesus too.
of sharing our life-changing encounter, our eternity-shaping encounter with other people. And there's nothing better in the world once we know Jesus than inviting others to come and know him too. He's calling you now to meet him and to know him, to spend your life following him, to find real life in his life, to bring others to know him too and follow him too. But don't take my word for it. Come and see. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that as we read the Bible and as we talk about it together now, your Holy Spirit is here and brings the life of Jesus to us. And we pray that we'd just be able to hear those words, come and see, as Jesus says to us, follow me. Father, give us the faith to believe and the joy of knowing Jesus in our life. We pray that tonight would be a life-changing, eternity-shaping encounter with Jesus for many of us this evening. It's in his name we pray. Amen.